That's good. I love singing about our awesome God. That's one of my favorite songs, The Great I Am. When that kicks in, man, that's good. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel. I hope you've had a great spring break. Uh, I hope that you and your family had a wonderful time. I used to think that it flew by when I was a kid, but as a parent, it seems to go by even faster. I think it's because time seems to move faster the older that you get. But I hope that whether you traveled or whether you uh, stayed at home, I hope you enjoyed your time with your family. And if you're in a stage of life where you don't, spring break's just another week, your, your kids are out of school, I hope that you've been enjoying this spring weather. It's a little windy out there today, but we had a beautiful day yesterday. Yesterday was my wife's birthday, and she said she always gets sunshine and flowers for her birthday because it's in springtime. So I hope that you're enjoying this spring weather, these longer days. We're nearing the end of our look at the kingdom heroes found in Hebrews chapter 11. We've got a couple of more weeks in our kingdom heroes series, and then it will be Easter. Uh, We hope that you get one of these Easter invite cards. Todd will tell you about them at the end of our time together today, but we want you to make plans to join us on Easter. We're going to have two uh, Sunday worship gatherings just like normal, so it won't be confusing. We want you and your friends, your family, your neighbors to join us for Easter in just three weeks weeks. This series has been especially fun for me. Uh, We've been talking about the Faith Hall of Fame, and the Hall of Fame is kind of my thing. I love discussing, I love visiting uh, various halls of fame any chance I get. Canton, Cooperstown, Springfield, I love, love, love Hall of Fame and the discussion that comes with them. Uh, Some that I'll probably skip, though. I did look up some Hall of Fame, some obscure Hall of Fames. You may have been to these, I don't know, but Uh, I probably won't be attending in Chattanooga, Tennessee, the International Towing and Recovery Hall of Fame. I don't know what you would see there, but I got to thinking about this this morning because maybe if you're like me and you've had a teenage son, you probably feel like you should have been in the International Towing and Recovery Hall of Fame before. Uh, I didn't think of that in the first worship gathering, but when he was sitting across the aisle from me, I thought of that one just a minute ago. Um, The World Kite Hall of Fame in Long Beach, Washington. If you're a kite flyer, you might. it's a long trip to go see some kites, but that's where the World Kite Hall of Fame is. Uh, maybe in your grandparents' shed as a child, you wondered what those mallet things were, those wooden mallets uh, and those wooden balls. Uh, croquet, yes, the Croquet Hall of Fame in West Palm Beach, Florida. They must play a lot of croquet down there, so that's where the Croquet Hall of Fame is. And then I'll leave you with a couple of really exciting ones. Uh, I'm sure that you've all visited this one already, but uh, just in case you haven't, in Wisconsin, there's the Paper Hall of Fame, so I'm not sure exactly what is in the, I guess it's just a lot of paper, Uh, and then uh, last but not least, just sounds exhilarating, the Insurance Hall of Fame is in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, so when you're down there uh, rooting against the Crimson Tide, you can visit the Insurance Hall of Fame. One of the big issues with the Hall of Fame is who deserves to be in or who deserves to be out. What is their resume? Can you make a case that that person deserves recognition, that that person deserves to be in? There's always a great debate surrounding a class of a Hall of Fame. Some are quite obvious. You'll see a picture on your screen. This is the induction class, the very first Baseball Hall of Fame class of 1939. You may not recognize many of those faces, but I bet you recognize the one on the front row that is Babe Ruth. Also in that picture is Honus Wagner, Cy Young. Uh, Ty Cobb would be there, but he was late. I did read he was late and missed the picture, uh, and so he's not in the picture, but that's the first 
Hall of Fame class of 1939. Some would consider them the GOATs, as Pastor Roger talked about last week, the greatest of all time. He mentioned Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, first ballot Hall of Famers. Uh, people that you don't have to wonder why they're in the Faith Hall of Fame. There's always a first ballot Hall of Famers, and then there's others that may sneak in on the last ballot, or maybe decades later there has to be a committee that elects them into the ballot or in, onto the, into the Hall of Fame. Today, we get to one of those Hall of Fame head scratchers. That's why I've been talking about this this morning. As we get to one in Hebrews 11, verse 30, 31, and you're like, how in the world... Does that person fit into the faith hall of fame? Read with me Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. The Bible says, It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Yes, you read that correctly. Rahab the prostitute. We find here among the greats in the Faith Hall of Fame. It's hard to imagine a more unlikely candidate for honor, especially this honor. Kingdom Heroes, in one of his books, Twelve Extraordinary Women, a pastor by the name of John MacArthur says this about Rahab. She was an immoral woman living in a pagan culture that was fanatically devoted to everything that God hates. And so just to wrap our minds around who we're talking about here, I'm going to read that again. She was an immoral woman living in a pagan culture that was fanatically devoted to everything that God hates. Rahab's profession, her nationality, her past all seemed to make it impossible that we would be reading Hebrews 11 and stumble across her name. Yet here she is. Right in line with the greats. How is that possible? It's an amazing story of God's grace. It's a story of God's amazing grace that I'm so privileged to get to share with you this morning. And I hope that you find encouragement, that you find hope in God's word today. I want you to back up just two verses to verse 29. And we'll begin to look at Rahab's story. But in verse 29, it kind of gets to the beginning of it. And you're gonna, we'll connect the dots in just a few moments. But verse 29 says, It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. We sang about it, turning seas into highways. We sang about that this morning. It says, But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. News of that incredible miracle began to spread near and far. People were hearing about this amazing God who had rescued his people from the mighty Egyptians. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. That's where we'll find Rahab's story. But keep in mind what was going all throughout the land. The story of God's incredible power. The story of God turning a sea into a highway for his people. And we get to Joshua chapter 2. God has delivered his people from Egypt. They've been wandering around in the desert. And let me set the scene for you, what we find in Joshua chapter 2. 
Since crossing the Red Sea, the Israelites had been wandering in the desert. They were waiting to enter the promised land that had been promised to Abraham and his descendants. They'd gotten close once, but rebellion and fear uh, led to another 40-year wait, and so they wandered longer, 40 more years. They'd gotten right to the brink, and then they had rebelled and, 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 and had doubted God's faithfulness, and so God punished them with another 40 years. And we pick up in Joshua chapter 2, they're on the brink of finally entering the promised land. They're about to go in. They've been waiting for decades. And Joshua, who's taken over for Moses, sends two spies into the land that stands between them and the promised land. We read in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Now thinking of Jericho, the city was thought to be impenetrable. It was the gateway to the rest of Canaan, the promised land. It had a massive wall built around it. In fact, there was a lower wall and an upper wall. And the wall had watchtowers up to 25 feet high. It was said that the guards could see for miles and miles and miles. And no one dared attack Jericho. It was in, they were invincible behind those walls. The walls were thick enough in some places 20 feet thick to have houses built into them and a lot of the houses the the back wall of the house would be the wall of the city the spies they would have slipped in during the day when the gate was opened for business and industry and they must have ducked right into Rahab's house a place where it was not uncommon to find strangers and for her to welcome in strangers and so they duck into Rahab's house and Rahab is the first person that we're introduced to in the promised land we read again in verse number 1 that Rahab was a prostitute. The Bible leaves no question as to who Rahab was. Some versions say prostitute, other versions say harlot. And you could imagine that early Bible scholars, uh, especially at the time of Jesus, would have tried to explain this away. They would have tried to brush that aside. They wanted to give a different meaning to the word harlot. In fact, they tried to say it really just means innkeeper. She was an innkeeper. But we know, and it's been believed for centuries in Christianity. In fact, the ancient Greek translation of the word harlot is spelled P-O-R-N-E, where we get our word pornography. So there's little doubt as to who Rahab was. Make no mistake about it. She was exactly who the Bible tells us that she was. But you know what? So are we. My Bible says that all have sinned. And I bet your Bible says that no one is righteous, no, not one. No matter how much we try to explain it away or hide our sin or give our choices a different meaning, we too are in desperate need of grace, just like this woman was. And so while we see in this story a, a prostitute, a, a sinner, we have to also recognize who we are. 
I told you this was an amazing grace story. And to understand that, we've got to recognize sin and call it what it is. Also in MacArthur's book about 12 Extraordinary Women, he made this statement, remove the stigma or the stain of sin and you remove the need for grace. So if we're going to understand this amazing grace story and what God did in the life of Rahab, we have to understand the sin that was involved here. We have to understand the, the incredible display of grace that God offers to Rahab and to us. The spies had been there for maybe a few hours. Suddenly, Rahab finds herself at a crossroads. It's probably not the way she thought her day would go that day. And now she is forced to make a decision. Everyone knew that she had seen them, and she was all of a sudden in the middle of a national security situation. She could give them up, or she could protect them and put herself in danger. And she had little or no time to make that decision. She could have seen these two men as a great inconvenience, showing up at her door, putting her in danger, interrupting her way of life. Or she could have seen this encounter as an opportunity for new life, for new hope, for new possibilities, for amazing grace. In verse 4, we see what her decision was. The Bible says Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know who or where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gates of Jericho were shut. In that moment, with her life on the line, hanging in the balance, do I go this way, do I go that way? Rahab made a decision. And she lied. We read clearly here that she lied. Don't misunderstand what she did. The lie is not what makes her commendable. The lie is not why she was in Hebrews chapter 11. The lie is not why she was a, uh, considered a kingdom hero. Some have tried to excuse it and say that it was necessary, but was that lie necessary? No. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have lied, but they didn't. Others in Scripture could have lied, but they didn't, and I believe that God would have made a way for those walls of Jericho to fall down with or without Rahab's lie, God didn't need that to fulfill his plan. Scripture never commends a lie. What we have to remember here is that Rahab was a product of a corrupt culture. Rahab, her whole life revolved around dishonesty. Rahab was a new believer here. She was fresh on her journey of faith in God. Unbelievers, new believers may act a little bit differently. It shouldn't surprise us. I'm always... Uh, I always have to catch myself when you see someone act a certain way or make a certain decision, and you say, well, why would they do that? Well, they're not following Jesus. Or maybe they're early on in their journey. The Bible says we should gently and humbly correct those. What should be alarming to us, though, is some of the choices that we make after following Jesus for a long, long time. I'm guilty, right? Rahab was fresh on her faith a journey with God, and she made a, a decision, and she lied. And it's not commendable. It wasn't the right thing to do, and so we shouldn't excuse it. 
But we should be alarmed when we make those kind of choices, right? Rahab now finds herself, she's all in. She'd made her choice. She had made her decision to side with these spies that Joshua sent in. Look at verse 8. They had a conversation. The Bible says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land. She's exercising faith. She's demonstrating her faith. She says, you're going to have this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea, turned seas into highways when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. And then she makes this incredible statement of faith. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Because of Rahab's faith, because of what she believed about God, she has a healthy fear of the Lord. She's developed this healthy fear because of what she knows to be true of God. He turned seas into highways. He had led his people in victory over the impossible, the mighty Egyptians. And she has a healthy fear of the Lord because of that faith. Not a hiding in the, under the bed in terror fear. Not a I'm afraid of what's going to come next fear. She has a reverent respect of God's power and his authority. She recognizes God's power and authority. And she has a respect towards that. That's what caused her to give a friendly welcome to those spies and to protect them. That was her motivation. And you know that can be our motivation for action and obedience too. We see that in Scripture, and that's one of the two points that I want you to remember today, that faith leads to a healthy fear of the Lord. Faith leads to a healthy fear of the Lord, recognizing what God has done in your life, recognizing what we read in Scripture, knowing who our God is, that He's the great I Am. It should develop a healthy fear of the Lord. Not that I'm scared of what's coming but a respect and a reverence of his power and his authority. We see this in other memorable places in Scripture as well. We read it just a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Keaton was preaching about Abraham and Isaac, and I was sitting in the seats there, and my ears perked up when I heard this phrase that we're about to read from Genesis 22, verse 12, as Abraham had Isaac on the altar, and he was just about to sacrifice his son, and the Bible says, Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Abraham feared God. It means he knew that obedience to God was far better than rebellion or going against what God told him to do. He knew all that God had done. He knew all that God was to him. He knew how God had rescued him. He knew all that, that God had done in his life. And he knew, I'm choosing to side with what God says. He had, a, he had a healthy fear of the Lord. We read it again. As Pastor Roger talked about Moses, I think he was talking about the crocodiles in Grant County. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, as the midwives were placing Babies in the basket, 
saving the boy babies. And Exodus chapter 1, verse 15 says, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. The midwives, they feared God. They respected God's law above the king's orders. They would rather be in line with what God wanted than what man had told them to do. By faith, Rahab turned down a reward. Recognition from her people. She put herself at risk and she staked everything on God. She said, I'm choosing God. For the Lord your God, she said, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And essentially she said, I'm siding with him. I'm choosing his side. Her faith led to a healthy fear of the Lord. It's a wise move if you ask me. And if you read in scripture, it is as well. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. Where does that fear come from? By faith. By faith. By what God's word tells us about God. By what we've experienced and witnessed God do in our own lives. Develops that healthy fear of the Lord. If you want my version, my commentary on Psalm 111.10 says it's wise to recognize and respect God's power and authority. That's wise. Wise to recognize and respect God's power and his authority. So here in Joshua chapter 2, we've got a lady that separated herself from her people. She's separated herself from her way of life. She's declared faith in God. How does God respond? With grace. With amazing grace. Verse 12. She's still speaking with the men and she says, Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my sisters and brothers and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. Then, Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. The story goes on and they say, now when we leave, leave this scarlet rope hanging. And look at verse 21. She says, says, I accept your terms. She replied and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The scarlet rope is not a minor detail. It's a big deal. The scarlet rope represents salvation. It represents grace. We saw the same imagery with those Israelites when they were in Egypt. They were facing that last plague and Moses told them to spread the blood of the lamb over their doorposts and the angel of death would pass over their house representing the salvation that would come from the blood of the lamb of God, Jesus. Jesus became that same lifeline for us, that same salvation for us, not because of anything that we did, In fact, it was quite the opposite. It's in spite of our rebellion, the Bible says that Jesus died in our place. In spite of our sin, knowing that we would turn away from him, knowing that we would be a rebellious people, Jesus died in our place. 
God's grace can redeem anyone. We see it in the story of Rahab. We see it in other places. We see it in our lives. If you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, then you've seen God's grace redeem you. You've seen God's grace change your life. I was speaking with our students last Wednesday before spring break. We're in a series entitled Unstoppable. We're going through the book of Acts, and I've gotten to preach about grace just here two, twice in the last two weeks uh, because we were at that point in our series. And I told our students uh, I was looking for a, an amazing grace story in, in the media uh, to share with them. And you can find them all over the Internet where God changed this person and they became this person in the worst of circumstances. But where we were at in the book of Acts, I think it was chapter 8, I said, I could have brought you all kinds of stories about God's grace, but there's no greater story of God's amazing grace than Saul. He was the number one threat to Christianity. He was literally going from house to house, taking Christians out in chains. He, he allowed the, the men to lay their coats at his feet, and the Bible says that he agreed with the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. Saul was the number one threat to Christianity until he met God. And God essentially said, I have a better way of life for you, Saul. And God's grace changed his life. Your past doesn't have to determine your future. Rahab's past was not pretty. Our past was not pretty. Saul's past was the worst of the worst. But God's grace is amazing. By faith, Rahab had a brighter future ahead. That can be you today. No matter what your past looks like, no matter what kind of choices you've made, the other point that I want you to remember today is this. Demonstrate faith and experience grace. Demonstrate faith and experience God's grace. That's what Rahab did. She demonstrated faith when she took in those spies. She helped them. She put her life on the line. She staked everything on her faith in God. And notice she did her, far, her part first. She did her part first. She, she didn't say, God, if you do this, I will do this. She didn't say, I, if you come through for me over here, God, you rescue me, then I'll stand up for these, I'll hide these spies if you do that. She made her declaration of faith first. She didn't do what we sometimes do and just claim to have faith. Just say, I believe, and never put actions behind it. We see Rahab a couple of places in Scripture other than Joshua and Hebrews, one of which is in James chapter 2. And she's commended right alongside Abraham for having this real faith, faith with action, faith that actually showed her faith, that demonstrated her faith. James chapter 2, and James says, Rahab the prostitute. Notice he mentioned it again. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Faith without action is dead, but Rahab had real faith. She, play, she, she put her faith in action. And she experienced real grace as a result. You ever sing that song as a kid? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. I had to look it up this week because I was wondering. I thought, I wonder if there's a verse in there that says, uh, when it says, and the walls came tumbling down. I wondered if it said, all except for Rahab's house. But it wasn't in there. <laughs> but it really should have said, 
except for Rahab's house when the walls came tumbling down. Chapter 6 tells us that she and her family were rescued and that she lived among the Israelites the rest of her life. You know, people for since, since its origin have tried to disprove the Bible and discredit the Bible. And you find that, but every time archaeology comes through or science, uh, it always points that the Bible is true. And there was a German excavation in 1907 as they were trying to disprove or to prove whether or not these walls of Jericho existed and whether or not they fell down. 1907, German excavation found that on the north, a short stretch of the lower city wall did not fall as everywhere else. A portion of that mud brick wall was still standing to a height of over eight feet. That'd be Rahab's house. She had that scarlet rope on her window. And when the, when the soldiers came through, Joshua said to those spies, Go get Rahab. Go get her family and rescue her. And that's Rahab's resume for the Hall of Fame. As you're reading through Hebrews 11, you get there and you're like, oh, Wait a minute. How did, she, how did she make it into this Hall of Fame? How did she make it? That's her resume, saved by grace through faith. And that can be ours too. Many of you in this room have that same resume, not because of something that you did, not because of coming to church on Sunday morning, but by grace, through faith, you've been saved. She feared God because of her faith, and she was shown grace. We see her one other place in Scripture. We're not going to turn there, but it's another one of those highly unlikely places in Scripture. Just another evidence to God's amazing grace. We see Rahab in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew. She was the great-great-grandmother of King David and therefore was in the family tree of Jesus. Tony Evans, a pastor, writer, and he said this, speaking of God, he's the master of taking a mess and turning it into a miracle. He's a master of taking a mess and turning it into a miracle. Many of us in this room are testimonies of that. Rahab is a testimony of that. God's ability to turn graves into gardens. The question is, will you trust him today? Will you make that declaration of faith today? A couple of challenges for you. First of all, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus today, maybe you've said, my past is too bad. I got too much of a messy story. Let Rahab be an encouragement to you. That God loves you and that God's got a better plan for your life than you could ever imagine. If you just first come to that realization that you need a Savior, that you can't save yourself, and that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die in your place. Make that decision today. Let Rahab's story be an encouragement to you. And everybody in the room this morning, let your faith result in a healthy fear of the Lord. Let what you know to be true about God, let what you've experienced to be true about God, develop a healthy fear of the Lord in you and spur you into action. Move you to obedience. That's the foundation of true Wisdom, the beginning of an obedient life to Jesus is that healthy fear of the Lord. Whatever it is that God's doing in your life this morning, I pray that you'll respond. When, we, uh, when I begin to pray, even then, I, I just move. If you need to talk to someone about Jesus this morning, we'll have some friends at the Connect Corner.
They would love to talk with you about how Jesus can turn a mess into a miracle. Trust him today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible story that we know is far more than just a story on a page, Lord. But it's real life that we read about that happened so many years ago, Lord, but that has happened millions of times since where you turned people's messes, people's hopelessness into miracles of life and a future. Lord, I pray if there's one in this room today that does not know you as their Savior, that they would make that step today, that they would, for the very first time, recognize that you and you alone are the only hope for salvation. And Lord, for the rest of us in this room, I pray that our faith in you would develop a fear that spurs us to obedience, that causes us to move, that causes us to act, to say, Lord, we are siding with you, the Almighty God, the great I Am. We just pray, Lord, today that you would move among your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.